0: Hey, how's it going? Welcome to the James McDonald podcast, where we say, love to live to love. That's our focus. That's our passion. And we invite you to let God's word have that impact in your life right now. Here's Pastor James.
1: Have you ever noticed this? When you call somebody on the phone, uh, you, uh, you know, usually start with the big things. Hey, the reason I'm calling is... And, and oh, oh yeah, and I also really need to tell you. And you get through that. And then when it's time to hang up, you, you do like three things really fast at the end, you know. And also, and okay, and I'll tell you, and tomorrow, and, and, and how many people think your phone calls kind of go kind of like that? Big things first, all the little stuff at the end. Come on, is that right or not? All right, so, 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 that also happens when you're writing Letters. You're writing letters, you start off with the main thing I want to talk to you about is, and and then at the end, you put a bunch of little stuff in, and that happens in every biblical letter too. So um, the (laughs) the part that I've got here is kind of difficult to outline. You'll understand it if you understand this. Um, This message is about two things, and then I'm going to say two things, and then about the second thing, I'm going to say three things, and then about the third thing, which is about the second thing of two things, two things, second thing, three things about the second thing. Then I'm going to say six things about the third thing, which is one of three things about the second thing, which is one of two things. If you have even a partial sense of what I'm talking about, turn to your neighbor and just very confidently say, I get it. Philippians 4, 10. uh, The title of this message is everyday joy through contentment. Verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Uh, First of all, this, I rejoiced in the Lord. That's fantastic because Paul has been saying now multiple times through this book about everyday joy, he's been exhorting us, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord. In fact, in chapter 3, verse 1, I don't don't know if they preached on this, I don't think they did. He he, he feels like he's repeating himself. So in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, to write the same things to you is no trouble. In other words, I keep saying the same things over and over. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. It's not a problem. I'm going to keep saying it because it's so important. And, and he says, and it's safe for me because I feel the Holy Spirit is leading me to write this to you, and so when I'm done, I wanna make sure I got the main thing said, so I'm gonna keep saying it. And in chapter four, verse four, which we just read, he says, rejoice in the Lord always, but I think this is the only time Paul describes himself as rejoicing. Now, a little bit about the word rejoicing. Rejoicing is the verbal form of joy. You eat food, you throw a ball, and you rejoice joy when there's joy in your heart the rejoicing is it's coming out in your words of praise and thankfulness in your uh, countenance which is shouting God has been good to me in your smile in your interactions with people all right uh rejo- joy uh, coming out that's what rejoicing is and notice that Paul says that he rejoiced in the Lord what's the adjective he uses to describe that come on So we're not having some little bit of uh, outing of his joy here. Um, We're we're hitting a new watermark here. Hi, I uh, rejoiced greatly. What was it, Paul? What was it that caused you to rejoice greatly? Well, he says that now at length... Uh, To appreciate this, you have to be reminded that Paul is uh, under house arrest. Some people say that he was actually in prison. Some people say that he was, for sure, his legs were in chains. For sure, he couldn't go anywhere he wanted. He was a Roman citizen, though, and he was awaiting trial that would lead to his execution. He was a martyr for the gospel. So, um, you know, going through some pretty tough times. And um, uh, Paul was what we would call a vocational minister of the gospel I am blessed incredibly privileged to be we're all ministers of the gospel I'm a vocational minister of the gospel which means that I'm blessed and privileged to live uh, of the gospel because of the generous offerings of the people in our church. And Paul didn't start out that way. No, I didn't either. Most people don't. Paul started out as a tent maker. He would make tents during the day and then he would preach in his spare time. But by the time he'd planted a few churches, those churches were supporting his vocational ministry. And Paul was like, I can't spend my time making tents no more. I gotta, I gotta be full time at this. If y'all could help me. And they did help him. Uh, the Thessalonians, Nikans, the Bereans, Acts 17 talks about that, the people in Athens, in Corinth. But his biggest, Paul's biggest supporters were the Philippians. And what's interesting is is that that they didn't uh, have very much. The Bible says that they gave out of their poverty. Isn't that awesome? Sometimes the biggest gifts you give. Or when you feel like you have the least to give and someone needs you or your time or something you have and you feel like you don't have much but you give it anyway. We always say not equal gifts but equal sacrifice. And when you give when you don't think you can give, that's, that's an awesome God-honoring thing. The Philippians were like that. But apparently their giving had stopped for a time. Maybe they just weren't able to. And so Paul was there under house arrest. And here comes the gift from the Philippians. He's closing the letter. He wants to make sure he thanks them. And he says, I rejoice greatly that now at length. So there was a time when he was like, what happened to these people? And Paul had said in 2 Timothy, at my first defense, uh, no one was with me. Everyone deserted me. And so there was a time when he didn't have his needs being met. He said, you have revived your concern for me. Now, that's a big deal. And it reminds me of something that may surprise you uh, about me. But... Um, is anyone surprised to learn that I uh, really, not a little bit, really like flowers? You going to go with a yes or a no on that? <laughs> yeah, it's super counterintuitive that I would like flowers, but I actually do really, really like flowers. Not that I know a great deal about them. I did learn when Kathy and I were uh, first married, and our kids were very small. We were living in Arlington Heights and we had a little sidewalk down the side of our house and a little, little strip of uh, dirt between the sidewalk and the house and I don't know if you know this But did you know that there's a kind of flower that you don't have to plant every year? <laughs> I know this is the kind of stuff you come to church for and here there it is right there uh, These are called what are they call Also, oh, this isn't news then So perennials this is a kind of flower that you plant and it's like this little thing that looks kind of like a walnut They call them. Did you know that you can't plant those just anytime you want? have to be planted in the fall. Okay, so fall. So you plant them in the fall. Um, um, and so we had our box of them. I think we got them the end of September. My wife was like, plant the bulbs, plant the bulbs, plant the bulbs, plant the bulbs, plant the bulbs. Any man with me on this? Uh, tomorrow, honey. Tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. It's November. Plant, and I don't she Kathy doesn't have to raise her voice. She has a look that means do it now. And I do, and I did. And but not great because I went outside, dug the trench with a little trowel, dig the trench, ripped the top off the box, tilted over, bulbs in the thing, dirt back on, done. Did you do it? I did it. It's going to be amazing. Can't wait for spring. Was I wrong? (laughs) Another piece of information. Did you know that the little walnut thing called a, has to be planted with the point up. (laughs) Who knew, who did not, who knew that? I knew you then, where were you when I needed you? <laughs> I needed you so badly, and, and so when spring came, of course we were pretty excited about our bulbs coming up, and, and Kathy's like, oh, let's go check and see if they're not up. Let's go check and see if they're not up. Now, what are the chances of dumping 30 bulbs into a trench and not one of them landed pointing up? <laughs> I think eventually we saw these, like, just little kind of things that sort of, I don't, I don't, it was a disaster. All, and then all the neighbor's bulbs were coming up, so I didn't have a defense anymore, and, and, um, and, uh, so we had to pull them all up and replant them in the next year and blah, blah, blah. The word translated revived there. Paul says your care revived. It, it means to bloom or to bloom again. And there's just something about spring, it's hard to believe it today, but it's coming. Someone say, it's coming by faith. It's coming, it's coming right? And when, when stuff starts to come up, am I right? And it's just such a great time of year. And, and to see something, the life and the blooming of that. And uh, Paul said, your care for me bloomed again. Now, that's why he's rejoicing. He's like, I, you know, I wasn't judging you or anything. Um, you, you, you were indeed concerned for me. I'm not saying you didn't care. I guess you, you had no opportunity. Bottom line, I needed to be hearing from you. And I needed your gift and it wasn't coming. But then when it came, I rejoiced greatly. Now, I don't think anyone here would disagree that when you have been praying and waiting on God, praying and waiting, praying and waiting... When the answer comes, when the provision comes, when the victory comes, when the, the, the provision of God comes, how many people would agree that's a joy day? All right. So, so uh, no surprise there, um, but this isn't a series about how to have joy when awesome God things happen. No one would want to hear that series. Everyone says, I think I'm already pretty good at that. This is in a series about joy on the mountaintop. This is a series about everyday joy. So the first point in the message is about being faithful to what's in the text. The real content's coming now. Joy comes through the Lord's provision, no doubt, no question. I think about the provisions we've seen in this church and the faithful provisions of God. And again and again and again, the awesome joy-producing prayers answered Joy comes through the Lord's provision. Here it is, though. Joy remains in a heart of contentment. I find it super encouraging uh, that Paul here is saying that contentment was something he had to learn. Now, let's talk first of all about a definition of this word so we know what we're actually talking about. The word contentment uh, comes um, uh, etymologically from uh, the word that we uh, use for county. But originally, a county... Uh, was the idea of a self-sustaining land mass. That inside those borders, they are self-sustaining. The original word for county actually means literally needing no imports. We don't need any fuel. We have what we need. We, don't, we cut our own trees. We plant and uh, uh, harvest our own food. We raise our own uh, livestock. We build our own houses. We don't need anything here in this county. We are, that's what the word means. We, we don't need any imports. Now just think how awesome it is to be able to say, like Paul said, I have learned to be content. I don't need, I have the word of God. I have the son of God. I have the people of God. I'm engaged in the purposes of God. That's joy. And I don't need any imports. If my sister's nice to me or if she isn't, if my uh, job works out, if if the deal comes through or if it, I don't need anything. I don't have everything I want, but I have everything I say it have everything I need. That's contentment. Now, nothing garrisons your heart and puts inside a citadel your joy like contentment. Everybody can have joy when the offering comes in, when the prayer is answered, when the results come through. But biblical joy, lasting joy, everyday joy requires this matter of contentment. And that's why I'm so comforted by help me by what word in verse 11 what's the best word in verse 11 guys after contentment come on what's the best word there look at your bible we're we're studying god's word together lift up your voice and say what's the best word learned Learned. why is learned why why because How many people would agree if the Apostle Paul came in here this morning? How many people would be comfortable with Pastor James sitting down and the the worship team not leading? How many of us are going to just listen to Paul for the whole session this morning? All in favor? Right? I, I mean, I don't think... So if Paul was up here, I'd just like to introduce to you this morning the Apostle Paul. And before he speaks to us today, I'd just like to have anybody who thinks they're a stronger Christian than him just come up here now. Pastor Jeff? Of course nobody's coming up we're following his example as he followed christ much of what we learned we learned from the apostle paul he was an exemplary christ follower unparalleled in some senses so if he had to learn contentment ah. Oh, So the fact that we're all hearing this needing no imports thing and thinking to ourselves, I got, how many people like I got some room to grow in that. I'm definitely not on. I'm definitely not. I haven't reached the, the final destination on this matter of contentment. And I don't have joy every day, but even Paul had to learn this so I can learn it too. He was in process. I'm in process more of that, less of this. I love that. I have learned contentment. Well, To help in that regard, um, I want to just give us what I think are kind of the four, sort of, I'm going to call these the cornerstones of contentment, you to build a house of contentment. You want that? Do you want to build a life of whether I have or whether I don't, whether I have or whether I don't, not that I'm speaking of being in need for, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Let's get these, the four cornerstones of contentment. If you have these, you're starting to build a good thing. Here's the first one. Where I am. Put the cornerstone in place. Where I am. I am where God placed me. I am where God placed me, and there's no better place to be. That's a great cornerstone uh, for contentment. Here's uh, another one. Not just where I am, but what I do. What I do. A man who has had a great impact on my life used to say, um, I don't love my job, but I'm thankful for it you know this idea that somehow your job is supposed to be this ultimate, fulfilling, you know, I, I, you know, and that everybody should figure out what they've always wanted to do and throw everything else aside. Really, really, what did you always want? I've always wanted to be a fireman. Now, that's amazing. I think that's really great. So why are you doing what you're doing? Well, when I got done school and I just needed to get a job and then I kind of fell into this. Awesome. Don't make what you always wanted to do into an idol. And and, and just be thankful. What does the Bible say? Be content with with such things as you have, for I will never leave you or forsake you. And dispense with the notion that there's some career path that if you were just... Now, I'm not saying don't dream. I'm not saying don't go to school. I'm not saying don't make a plan to do something different. If, if God's in it and, and you're not going to have to destroy other priorities. But I'm saying don't live for it today. Don't suspend your contentment and, and ward off your everyday joy. Because you think that when I have... And it isn't just those things. Four cornerstones of contentment, where I am, what I do, and then this, what I have. And, and you know, I'm just going to be a lot happier when we have a deck. And when we built our house, we just didn't have the money for the deck. And, but this spring, I'm going to get that deck built. And I can just imagine us out there having that barbecue and that great evening. And it's sunny and the kids are around. And, and whatever that is to you, whatever that is, that thing, we find so often that the things that we had to have are so, so much less than we ever thought that they would be. And many people here are sitting here with things that they never thought that they would have and have discovered. In fact, have discovered that they were nothing. In fact, I have uh, seen that frequently those who have much or those who have everything that they could want Actually, have with it great misery. At least those who have less can think forward to something, but those who have nothing to look forward for, everything they could want have has arrived, um, have had to conclude with finality that there is nothing in things. All right, Jesus said that a man's life does not consist of the abundance of things that he possesses. That's a cornerstone of contentment. Where I am, what I do. what I have, and then this, who I'm with. Nothing is more punishing on your family, on your loved ones, on your small group leader, on your pastors, than your discontent. And my, if you were just, if you were just, and listen, to turn to the other people in your life and to ask them to be for you what no person can be for you. And the man who hates his job, and the man who hates the winter, who comes home, and, and he will begin to pound and punish his family because he knows something's missing and he will begin to blame them. And it is not them, and that is great wickedness and cruelty. And more gently, The woman who has a list of what her man needs to learn and is on it, on it, on it, as though the arrival at that destination would relieve the cavity in her soul when it cannot, that, my sister, is also great sin. And happiness is not found in where I am, or where I work, or what I have, or who I'm with. Now, I'm not saying that a bad job and a, and a difficult marriage can't make life harder. But Jesus Christ has promised to be all that we need in the middle of that. You're like, oh my gosh, this is... Huh? Paul had to learn it. Paul himself had to learn this. No one is born with this. This is not a temperament thing. Well, she's just always been so. Some show their discontent, others hide it inside a boiling sea in their soul. But everyone has to learn it. Well, how do you learn it? Come on, everyone ask me. How do you say it? How do you contentment is learned through this? Is the, so those are the two things. Joy comes through provision. Joy remains in a heart of contentment. Now we're on to the three things we want to say about the second thing, which is contentment. Here's the first thing about the second thing. Contentment is learned through circumstances, verse 12. He says, what did you learn, Paul? Well, he said, I learned, I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. Now those, if you want to enroll in the school of contentment, there's two semesters. All right. Semester one, I know how to be brought low. Ah, I'm really looking forward to the second semester. First semester, I know how to be brought low. You say, well, everyone knows that. Incorrect. Many people say, my head, it, like in the poem Victus, my head is bloody but unbowed. And many people say, I will not go down. I, will, I don't apologize. I will not go down. You have not learned how to be brought low. I, <laughs> I have a ton of things to learn, but not many pastors doing this as long as I've been doing it can't testify. I have had to learn how to be brought low. And this is one of the things that God uses most frequently in the training of his children. He's like, you just get down. Just get down really low. And you're like, how long am I going to be? Stay down. Stay down. You need to learn how to go down and you need to learn how to stay down and you need to learn how to not be bitter and you need to learn how to love God and others more, not less. Listen to me, awesome, awesome things come. When you learn, Paul said, I had to learn this. I had to learn contentment, semester one. I had to learn how to be brought low. Seems like that's a course we re-enroll in. A second semester, you're like, oh, I've been so looking forward to the second semester, learning how to abound. Bring it on, God. This is gonna be awesome. I'm gonna have more blessing than I know what to do with. I've been waiting for this day. That's not as great a course as you'd think. And most who have much would tell you that the responsibility, the demands of others, the uncertainty of what to give and what to enjoy, the pressure of all of it, hanging on to it, multiplying it as the scripture requires, not letting your heart, Bible says, if riches increase, do not set your heart upon them. The, the, The pressure of not failing in abundance is equal to or greater. Than the pressure of not failing when you're brought low. And look, like, I want my money back. This is a free course, first of all. All right? These courses are free. And all of God's children are enrolled. Have you passed both semesters even once yet? Because then you go through a good season and then you re enroll and take both the courses again. Paul was in it constantly. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of, in case we didn't know what he meant by brought low and abound, he's going to reiterate it. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So there's no question, plenty, hunger, abundance, need brought. So let's put them together in groups brought low, hunger need that's the first semester and then abounding plenty abundance you see it that's the second semester and both of those things are on God's agenda and that's what he's using to teach us contentment so contentment is learned through circumstances jot this down contentment is strengthened by Christ now we get to verse 13 one of the most quoted verses in Philippians because it's one of the most quoted verses in all the Bible. How many people have heard, my translation says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, but without question, the him is Christ. And so some have uh, substituted the proper name for the pronoun. Uh, It doesn't change the meaning in any way. I love that. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Lift up your voice. Let's say that together. Say it, I What an awesome thing to confess. Uh, um, one of the most misused verses in the whole Bible. I'm not even joking about this. So you go into a, a, a football team's locker room and, and you'll see it posted on the wall. I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which is a reference to I can win. I can throw the pass. I can make the catch. I can, I can uh, do the tackling. I can do it all through Christ. Is, is that what this is about? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can, you know, take over Wall Street through Christ who strengthens me. I can double my business. I can double the bottom line in a year through Christ who strengthens me. Is that what this is talking about? This is disastrous misapplication. Some time in college you're out late the night before and you forgot to study for the big exam in the course you didn't want to have to take, biology or something. And on the way over to the exam, you're like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens people who never study." <laughs> is that what this is saying? I'm not saying it only means what's in the context, but it surely means first and foremost what is in the context. And what is in the context is living with abundance and being brought low. The I can do is everyday joy. I can do everyday joy no matter how much I have or don't have. I can do everyday joy when I have plenty and when I have nothing. I can do everyday joy. When I'm so thankful, I can hardly stop thanking God for things when I pray. And I can do joy when I can't even open my mouth to pray because my heart is so broken. I've just learned both, I've learned both. This world is not my home, I'm just passing through. Heaven is for me, and it's gonna be this, it's gonna be this, it's gonna be this, it's gonna be this, and a lot of times it's this and this at the same time. And I don't wanna live on the roller coaster. I want something that can get through anything. And even Paul didn't have it he had to learn it. You got to go to school on this. God is teaching you how to not be spoiled by too much. And he is teaching you how to trust and never doubt when you're brought low. And if you can handle the extremes, you can handle everything in between. And God is working on us, us in all of that. Joy comes through the Lord's provision. Joy remains in a heart of contentment. Contentment is learned through circumstance. Contentment is strengthened through Christ. And here's the third thing. Contentment is demonstrated through sacrificial giving. Help me here. On a scale of one to ten, you can hold up your fingers. How much do I want now to go and start talking about giving? How much do I want to do that? Correct. I don't want to do that at all. But isn't it great, praise God, to be in a church where what the Bible is saying is guiding what we hear. Okay, So Paul, interestingly, uh, is led by the Holy Spirit who's inspiring the word of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And watch where he goes. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But like I said, at the end of a letter, you want to get a bunch of stuff in Yet it was kind of you to share my troubles. Jot this down. Here's the six things. Or they're going to come fast. Giving is kind. It was kind of you to share my trouble. I didn't have anyone to help me, but you took the burden on. It's not normal in the pursuit of joy to prioritize what matters to others. That's what Christians do. What the world does is it prioritizes what matters to me. But far from enhancing and advancing their mission of happiness, they are taking an ax to the base of the tree of human happiness. And our God steps in and says, joy is what you want. And it's not coming from taking care of yourself. It's coming from the kindness of taking care of what's others. I've often preached when we take care of what's on God's heart, God takes care of what's on our heart. And Paul here says it was kind of you to share my troubles, giving is kind. And then note in verse 15, giving is partnership. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me. The whole book of Philippians has been about partnership. Verse, chapter one, verse five, partnership in the gospel. Chapter one, verse seven, partakers with me of grace. Chapter 2, verse 1, participation in the spirit. Chapter 3, verse 10, fellowship of Christ's sufferings. Look up here. I only say that because you're looking at your Bible and I want to look at you. This is an us thing. The joy thing is an us thing. We're learning the contentment together. We're pursuing the joy together. We're holding one another up together. Giving his partnership together. Paul says, no, no church ended in a partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Wow, way to go Philippians. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Notice that giving is ongoing once and again. Not that I seek the gift what every preacher feels. What every preacher feels, trust me on that. That's why so few preach about giving because they don't want to have that feeling of the feeling that you're feeling that he's feeling that this is in his best interest when he's just trying to be faithful to the scriptures. Paul was feeling it. I feel it. Not that I seek the gift. I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. And Paul says, I don't care about the gift. God's going to meet the need. What I want is I want you to be part Of the fruit of all of that. Not just coming and taking like consumers who know nothing of joy do. But giving. Because it's kind and partnership. And yes, it's ongoing. It never stops until the Lord returns. But it is recorded. Giving is recorded. See at the end of verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. God has a ledger. All right? That doesn't just include your financial giving, but your giving of your time and your giving of your energies and your spending of yourself to build Christ's kingdom by faith on this earth. So, I seek the fruit, Paul says in verse 17, that increases to your credit. And then this giving is pleasing to God, verse 18, and giving is rewarded, verse 19. 18. I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied. It's not about me. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Notice how God sees those gifts. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. And every time I put something in that bag by faith or give online, I understand, but this is a symbol. And every time I give, I say, you matter more, I matter less your agenda, your kingdom, not mine, and that is worship, and that rises as a fragrant offering that is pleasing to God. And finally, you say, well, what about me? Second most quoted verse in Philippians: My God will supply every need of yours. That's the that's the biblical promise. Whether he gives it back to you financially or in answered prayer or relationships, I've preached on all that or personal holiness. I've preached on all this. Pray you don't get the money. There's better stuff, but for sure you can't outgive God. 100%. He who sows sparingly reaps sparingly. He who sows bountifully, we've been living that for three decades, reaps bountifully. You can't outgive God. That's what the Bible promises. I've preached many times on 2 Corinthians 9, if you don't know that. I just go back over that yourself. Giving is rewarded. Giving is recorded. And notice that God will supply your needs not according to his diminishing bank balance but according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. When God gives back more, pressed down, shaken together, running over abundantly than we can ever give to him. I gotta say that to the best of our ability, we're spending ourselves for the Lord. And I don't think nor have ever thought that I am giving more than God gives. I don't think that, nothing close to that. He keeps on giving, he keeps on giving, he keeps on giving and giving and giving and giving, and you can't outgive God. And I hope you're learning that in the context of contentment.
0: So I hope that you've been really encouraged today through this clear teaching from God's word. I just want to thank you from the whole team for listening to the James McDonald podcast where the learning is for loving, loving God and for loving others more and more until we see him face to face. Thank you for standing with us. Your prayerful support is our lifeline to continue this gospel partnership, and it makes podcasts like these possible. If you're not part of a vibrant, life-giving gospel church, check out this new alternative. It's called the Home Church Network. You can get it at homechurchnetwork.global. All the ministry information, Bible teaching, and and resources are there, and also at jamesmcdonaldministries.org. Hey, thank you again for listening.